Amen. I invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're in 1 Samuel 12. This is another one of those moments where I truly see the hand of God. You know, you lay out these sermon series, and you have no concept that we, at that time, were going to install Michael on this day, but here we are with Samuel's farewell address, and you, you see so many aspects of, of ministry that Samuel has had with the people of Israel, and that's going to be our focus this morning. Of course, in terms of the story, we've been following along with uh, Israel's call for a king. You know, we had the private anointing of Samuel. We had the, the public acceptance of Samuel through the lots, then at the end of chapter 11, we have the public installation, so to speak, of, of Saul. I'm sorry, I think I said Samuel. I, you know that's a, a hazard there. Uh, but uh, you have the public installation of Saul. And so in some senses, the story begins to shift from Samuel to Saul. This is Samuel's farewell address though he is going to come back into the story a couple more times uh, as he anoints David. Uh, the kingdom is rejected from Saul, and even Samuel comes back from the dead uh, at one point in the story. But this is his farewell address. It has a, a lot of similarities to Deuteronomy 29, Joshua 24, uh, where Moses and Joshua both renew the covenant. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I've obeyed your voice, and all that you have said to me have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought our fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out, to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they, the people of Israel, forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord, and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in his safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold... The king whom you have chosen, from whom you have asked, 
Uh, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord, uh, and if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared before the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to our sins, to all of our sins, this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Only fear the Lord. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still act wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Thus far, this is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we uh, open this portion of your word, we pray that you would open our hearts. Uh, and teach us, uh, help us to behold the wonderful things uh, that are in your word for us. And Father, as we make application today uh, about leaders and people, about pastors and congregations, Lord, we pray that you would enlighten us, uh, humble us, uh, and help us to surrender before you, our great pastor and our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know the hymn, The Church's One Foundation. Uh, There is a stanza in there uh, that um, talks about, uh, by schisms rent asunder, men see her sore oppressed. Uh, And just, you know, a lot of times churches skip that. Um, that, that particular stanza. We don't like to talk about schisms and heresy and, and all of those different things. But there's a reality to it. There's a reality to the, the church and the difficulty and the strife and the striving. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's out there. It's the persecution that Jesus told us uh, would be part of our lot. But a lot of times, it's, it's in here. Uh, It's within the walls of the church, and I think many of you are sensitive to that. 
there are podcasts galore, books being written uh, in, in sort of proliferate ways uh, about the abuses and scandals and difficulties of the church. Uh, sometimes we step back and we, we think, God, was this really the best way that you could have propagated your gospel uh, to take defective people and put them together and uh, have it grow in this way? One writer puts it this way. He says, through defective mem- messengers, God's word is carried through the generations, through preaching and Bible studies, through prophetic witness, conversion. But any close study of church history should marvel that Christianity still exists uh, at all. Distress by scandal, judgmentalism, abuse, exploitation, heresy, and sheer idiocy. Uh, The church has always been its own worst enemy. It's no wonder that so many today find the idea of an institutional church to be so repulsive, preferring to go their own way with their own customized version uh, of Christianity. And some of you can relate to that very personally. Your own experience um, uh, with church has been checkered, uh, and there have been some severe disappointments along the way, some hurt. Uh, Certainly, you know, we think about all of the various folks in, in our community, many of whom are not here this morning precisely because of that. Uh, these are the, the de-churched, the, the nuns, folks that uh, have been bruised and scarred and in their own hearts and minds uh, would, would never step foot in a church. Why is that? Well, we've mentioned, you know, we are weak and frail people, uh, and and yet God gives us to each other. Uh, God gives us to each other as leaders, uh, as congregations, to walk together. Maybe you saw that in this passage. Uh, Samuel, a couple of times, talks about, you know, I have been walking before you, and and now the king walks before you. Uh, There is this sense of, of walking together as these people people of God seeking to follow His ways. And for as much as uh, we've mentioned the scandal, the abuse, the heresy, the sheer idiocy, whatever it might be, we also marvel at the glory. We, we marvel at what God has done. I know for some of you, uh, the church has been the one thing that has sort of kept you sane. Uh, the church has been the one place where you have actually experienced grace and, and found God uh, to be very real in a time of, of desperate need. Uh, so it is God's gift to us. Uh, God's gift to us is that we might walk together, uh, and, and this morning I want to just focus a little bit on, on what that means, particularly as leaders and people. Here is Samuel's farewell speech, and if we look closely, we see a, a lot of threads that he sort of pulls together that capture the nature of the relationship between leaders and people. This is perhaps, you know, in terms of going through chapter 12, uh, not the, uh, the primary 
sort of redemptive historical purpose of this book. I mean, this is laying out a covenant renewal time, all of this. But I want to sort of look at it sideways today and say, how, what can we learn for leaders and people? Because we're installing Michael this morning as a pastor among us. And part of this process, you know, in, the, in our Presbyterian Church in America is that we, we sort of charge one another. We, we charge Michael as a leader to walk in a certain way. Uh, we actually have a section in the Westminster Confession uh, that talks about taking vows and talks about, you know, deliberately ordering your life for a particular purpose. We're going to take some vows today. You actually are going to take a vow as well uh, to deliberately order your life, you know, with respect to Michael and, and for this purpose. So, I want us to think a little bit about what, what does that look like? You know, how do we see it played out here? First uh, Samuel is a, a lot about leadership. We've, we've talked about that throughout, you know, whether it's Eli or whether it's Samuel, uh, David certainly, Abner, Abigail. I mean, there's so many people that step forth and show various characters of, uh, characteristics of leadership. Pause and look at them. Five things for you this morning. Uh, the first of them is uh, the, the relationship between a leader and his people is, is one of knowing. Uh, you see that in the first three verses of this passage. Uh, Samuel said to all of Israel, uh, there's no secrecy here. Uh, there is a, a public sort of opening up of the relationship and holding it, all of Israel. Behold, I've obeyed your voice and all that you've said to made a king. And now behold, the king walks before you. I am old and gray. Uh, behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. There's a certain vulnerability here that, that Samuel is capturing. He's saying, you know me. You, you, you know, you know my, my strength, my weaknesses. You, you know my frailty, my gray hairs, all, all of these different things. You, you know me and you recognize who I am. I have walked before you. you have, uh, we have walked together all of these years. There's a certain vulnerability in that, especially when he says, you know, I and my sons. Because you remember back in chapter 8, you know, Samuel's sons are, are not necessarily his pride and joy. Uh, they were the worthless fellows who were, were taking from the people and exacting bribes and all of these things. So there is a real sense of we know your strengths. We know your weaknesses, uh, and we have walked together. Samuel certainly knows that of the people. Uh, they've rejected God. Samuel has uh, felt the sting of that, even as he has tried to minister to them. There's a certain vulnerability, and then there's a certain accountability. You see that in verses 4 and 5. You know, Samuel calls the people to testify against him. You know, who's ox have I taken? Who's, uh, whom have I defrauded? All of these different things. And, and he is standing there in the gap between God and his people, and he's asking for accountability. This is important when we think about leadership. 
It's one of the reasons I, I like being a part of a denomination like the Presbyterian Church in America is we have uh, accountability not only from the congregation uh, but also from my fr fellow brothers in the, the faith. There is a sense of, of being accountable for the type of leadership that we offer to the people. So, Thinking in terms of charges, uh, knowing for the congregation, you know, there is a, a certain sense of, of vulnerability. Uh, you walk together with Michael, and, and we open up our lives to one another. Later, later on, we're going to talk about, you know, asking for prayer, all of these different things. For Michael, there is that aspect, too, that he, he's not just Superman that comes, you know, into church in his suit and all of these different things, but there's a certain vulnerability as he and Jen live their lives among us, and we begin to know one another. But it's not only a relationship of knowing, it's also a relationship of giving. We can do this one very quickly, but it's important. Uh, giving, generosity. You remember in chapter 8 when Samuel was talking about, this is what's going to happen if you ask for a king. The king is going to take, 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 take. I think it was six times in that short paragraph where he was going to talk about the type of leader that the king would be. The king is going to be the type of leader that takes from you. Here Samuel is saying, whose ox have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? He, he's saying, I, I want to be accountable that I have not been the type of leader who has taken, but rather hence the type of leader who has given, uh, who has given of my time, who has given of, uh, you know, my chance of maybe advancement in a certain way in life, who has given of myself, who has given, who has given, who has given. And that's the, the call to leadership, Michael. You know, you are, are stepping into a, a situation where, you know, literally you are n never off the clock, totally. Uh, you know, we, we try to set boundaries and we try to pay attention to some of these things, but as a pastor, you, you truly always uh, are are need to be open to give of yourself, to give of your time. This can be challenging at times, but God will give you the strength for us. Interestingly enough, I mean, the, the congregation is to be generous as well with their pastor, you know, with their leader. For the Israelites, now we know, you know, back with Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were overtaking of the sacrifice. But the first part of the sacrifice was to go to the priests and the Levites. You know, it was set aside, you know, after God burned off the fat, it was set aside for the care of those who were in leadership. It was recognized that they weren't out plowing the fields and that they were dependent upon uh, the provision of the people for their care. So we think about that financially, you know, how do we support the budget of the church, all of those different things. We pay Michael, we pay others on staff out of. 
but also just those other aspects of life, you know, the relationship with Jen, we, we want to be giving towards the, the flourishing of their marriage. We, we want to think about, you know, how can we order our own lives uh, so that we are mindful of the needs of this one who has been given over us. The third thing that I want to observe for you is that a, a leader and their people or a pastor and their people are always together making connections. Uh, they're connecting their lives in particular to God's story. We, we see that in, in verses 6 to 18. Uh, here in the passage, Samuel says to the people, the Lord is a witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers uh, out of the land of Egypt. Um, here he, he goes through the history, the story of the people of God. He reminds them of their tendency for apostasy, uh, the following of bondage, the cry of the people, the deliverance that God would send, that A, B, C, D, E uh, uh, pattern, you know, that would result then in ease for a while until they apostatized again and, and they left God. But Samuel is helping the people to see, like, this is your story. And God is faithful in the midst of this story, even when we are unfaithful. And they're making these connections one with another. This is why it's important to walk together. You know, Michael, you, you can't do your work apart from being among the people. You can't just sit in your office and, and, and properly do your work because you're not going to know the lives uh, of these folks, and you're not going to be able to make the connections that are needed. Like, you remember, yes, I know times are tough right now, but do you remember when God was faithful to you in the past? And because of God's faithfulness in the past, we can have confidence in God's faithfulness for the future. Sometimes these connections are, are pretty dire. I, I look at uh, verses 16 to 18 here. Uh, when Samuel says, you need to understand who it is that you are dealing with in Yahweh, you need to understand who it is that you are rejecting when you ask for a king. And then we have this little lived out, uh, full uh, experience parable where, where Samuel says, it's the wheat harvest today. And, and the significance is that it, it's dry season. There, there's no rain typically during the, the wheat harvest. So Samuel says, stand still. He, he's always telling the people to stand still. I haven't counted how many times in 1 Samuel he says that, but says it a lot. Uh, and maybe there is a, a, a lesson there for us, you know, to, to learn to stand still, to wait, to watch, uh, to see what God will do. In this case, God thunders and the storm, and, and the people are afraid. But, but Samuel here is making the connection for the people that God is not somebody to be trifled with. You know, to, to, be, to put it in Narnian terms, he, he's not a tame lion. 
And, and, and you have to understand that if you are rejecting God, you are rejecting the all-powerful creator of the universe. And, and that is something for you to tremble at. So we, we make connections one with another. Oftentimes, we're pointing out uh, God's faithfulness. And, and praise the Lord when we can come together with our friends, with our neighbors, with our pastors, uh, and, and we can recall these times of God's faithfulness. But sometimes, we have to remind each other that He's not a tame lion, uh, that He is not uh, a, a being to be trifled with, and we should learn to tremble before Him. The fourth thing, then, is interceding. You see that as the story proceeds from there. Uh, verse 19, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. The people get the connections, uh, and, and they, they realize that this is what they deserve. Uh, they realize that you know, the way that their hearts have, have gone have been a, away from the God who would catch them up and carry them in His bosom, that they have rejected that one. And so they're saying, will you pray for us? Uh, and, of course, Samuel's answer is, in verse 23, he says, Far be it from me uh, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Uh, here is, in many ways, Michael, uh, congregation, I think the heart of the relationship between a leader and their people is that they, they pray for the people. And the people depend upon, in many ways, uh, the prayers of the leaders. Some of you will remember in Acts 6 when uh, the apostles uh, were dealing with a growing church and they they were feeling squeezed with regards to the teaching and the prayer that was needed by all of the physical needs. Um, and so they appointed that, that proto-diaconate there to serve tables and, and do all of those different things. Why? So they could dedicate themselves to prayer and, and to the teaching of the Word. And, and at the heart, Michael, uh, of what God is calling you to do here is, is to pray to pray for these folks, to, you know, walk around the sanctuary, as it were, recall where people sit, bring their lives before the Lord to intercede for them. Again, going back to this idea of knowing and being known, you know, part of the way that you can make Michael's uh, call in, our, in your midst uh, a joy to him and easier to him is to share those things. Say, here's where I really need prayer. You know, oftentimes um, Satan and, and just our own sort of sense wants to keep those things real private and, and to not ask for prayer. But this relationship here, when God shows up, the people say, 
pray for us. Pray for us. We, we need this prayer uh, because we, we know our hearts, and, and we know the difficulty of the world that, that we are in, and, and we need the prayers of our leaders. Finally, the, the last thing that I will highlight to you, um, and uh, the last thing I'll highlight to you is that a leader and their people need to cling together uh, to the promises of the gospel. Uh, you see it there in, toward the end of the chapter, verse 20, verse 24. Um, in verse 20, he's, uh, Samuel says to the people, do not be afraid. I, you know, I love that. You know, do not be afraid. And, and that, I, I do think, is, is a call for ministry. You know, so charging you, Michael, uh, for this group of people, fear is, is such a motivator in our society today. You know, the, the polarization of the political parties, if so-and-so gets into office or if so-and-so gets into office, you know, everything is driven by fear. You know, if the Supreme Court rules in this way or in that way, then, you know, everything is, and, and everything is, is driven by, you know, fear. And part of what the gospel says and what we need to cling to is that God is on His throne. And so we can always say to one another, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid even though you have sinned and done this great thing. You know, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Cheer up. You're, you're worse off than you think. You know, this is, uh, you know, Jack Miller may have been looking right at this passage. You know, you have done all this evil. We cannot escape that fact. You've done it. You are guilty, but do not be afraid even in the face of that. Why? Look at verse 23, 24, 22. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. At the heart of our walk together, it is not our obedience. You know, at the heart of our walk together it are not, is not our failures. Uh, at the heart of our walk together is the Lord's faithfulness. The, the Lord will do this. So we cling to Him because we find out here that He is clinging to us. He will not forsake you, Michael. He will not forsake us, Christ Church. Why? Because we're so awesome? Because we get it right? No. For the sake of His great name and because it has pleased Him to make us our people. We cling to God because He clings to us. And, and that's our job together as pastors, as congregation, to keep clinging to those gospel promises, uh, to keep coming back to them over and over and over because they are yes and amen in Christ. 
And to demonstrate that to you, look back at these five categories, knowing, giving, connecting, interceding, clinging. Every single one of them uh, we can speak to in terms of Christ's ministry to us. Christ knows and is known by us. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. Jesus, as our pastor, did not hold back, but walked among us in a very clear way. Jesus came not to take but to give his life as a ransom for many. And that he did, going to the cross. The thing that he took was our sin. The thing that he gives us is his righteousness. And we live in that. Jesus is the one that makes connections for us. I think about, you know, Jesus in Luke 24 as he's walking on the road with the, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained all of the Scriptures according to himself. Uh, he helped the disciples to see that the story that we are in, every part of our story is about Jesus. It's about His faithfulness. It's about His sacrifice. And so in the dark times, you know, in the valleys when we walk through those, in the, in the mountaintop experiences, in the, in the blahs along the way, every part of it, if we learn to see, we connect back to Jesus Jesus is the one who lives, Hebrews 7 says, to intercede for us. Michael, your interceding, our interceding together uh, is always interceding before the throne of grace, which is uh, the place where, where Jesus is delighted at the right hand of the Father to intercede for, for you and for me. And finally, uh, this idea of clinging You know, we've said God clings to us. Jesus says in John 10, he says, nobody, nobody can can pluck my people out of my hand. I I am clinging to them for all eternity. And if you are a child of God, he holds you. Jesus holds you in his hand. So what does ministry look like? It looks a lot like the life of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, and that's the key. You know, there are all of these conditions in here. You know, we're Samuel and the people. Uh, Samuel says, you bring all of your heart before the Lord. Walk this way. If you don't walk this way, you'll be swept away. But what we know as the story progresses is that Jesus has finished the work. Everything that uh, Samuel didn't do, everything that Saul didn't do, everything that David couldn't do perfectly, every other leader and every leader incidentally today, everything that, that isn't done perfectly, Jesus has completed the task. And so he invites us to cling to him. Somebody has once said that ministry is oftentimes like dying, but that ministry is oftentimes like resurrection. 
And I think that is a good way to think about our life together. We die together uh, before the Lord. We surrender our hearts. We confess our sins. You know, we weep in the times of darkness. Ministry is a lot like dying. We give up the things that we might ordinarily enjoy that might be perfectly right for us to enjoy. But we sacrifice it because we know that there is something greater. Ministry is a lot like resurrection. You know, in the middle of all of those times, we realize that death is not the end, that the story lives on, and that we will live on as well because of Christ's faithfulness to us. So, brother, I am so glad that you are here. Really, I am. My to-do list is glad that you are here. (laughs) I am glad that you are the person that God has made you to be. And we trust and we believe that you are the person that God has called to be in this place. And all of our richest prayers are that God would bless you and Jen, you know, in the years that follow that you would know the joy of serving here, even though there will be hard times, that you will know the joy of serving here. Together, the call is to walk. To walk not in our own strength, but to walk in the firm foundation that God goes before us, that He walks behind us, and that He is by our side. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for how it comes to us so appropriately on this day. And we think about our lives together. We pray that you would uh, seal this word to our hearts. uh, That we would know that our joy, uh, our joy is uh, in your finished work. I pray for Michael for Jen, as they take up this call. We're so grateful for uh, the people that you have made them to be. Uh, We pray for ourselves as a body. We ask that you would open our hearts uh, to give, to receive, to know, to be known, uh, to cling together to the finished work of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We have an opportunity